The bottomless pit in Revelation chapter 9 is a picture of the hell state of mind. Creatures that emerge from the pit are destructive thoughts and feelings. The book of Revelation overall is a symbolic prediction of how Jesus' message became corrupted in Christian church organizations during the centuries after he walked the earth. The extent of this corruption was hard to notice on earth, but in the afterlife, it was easy to see how bad it had become by 1757. A last judgment occurred in the spiritual world to expose corruption and restore the truth. We've explored the spiritual meaning of the book of Revelation in these past episodes, go check it out. But now in chapter 9, we're in the middle of the story of seven angels with trumpets. The sounding of the seven trumpets represents an exposure of corruption in Protestant Christianity at that time. And not with all Protestants, but with the organization and the official doctrine of salvation by faith alone. Each trumpet exposed imagery that represented some aspect of the corruption. Chapter 9 begins with the fifth trumpet. A star falls from heaven to earth and is given a key to the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is in the spiritual world and in our minds. It's bottomless because without God's help, we would fall into endless selfishness and greed. The key is God revealing what a corrupted religious state of mind is really like so that we can learn to avoid it. When the pit was opened, hot, dark smoke rose up, and that represents the destructive cravings and false justifications of this state of mind. On the surface, it might not seem that bad to preach and believe that salvation is only a matter of certain doctrines in your mind and words, but the effect in people is often to take away responsibility for our own actions. The creatures that emerge from this pit symbolize how monstrous we can become when we don't feel a need to examine our own hearts or to act with love toward the neighbor. And the grotesque locusts led by a king called Abaddon show a picture of harsh, self-righteous doctrine without any love in it. When the sixth trumpet sounds, four angels bound at the great river Euphrates are released. They gather a huge cavalry and kill a third of humankind. In Bible language, angel means messenger. And these were not literal angels that had fallen from heaven. They're a symbol of messages from false Christian doctrine that destroy spiritual life. Chapter 9 ends by talking about humans who haven't repented. Here we're taught about the effects of refusing to live the kind of life that Christ taught. It's a wake-up call about what gets in the way of connecting with goodness and heaven and God. For predictions of severe corruption that would come into Christian religions, see our show End Times and Jesus Christ. For The Last Judgment, the Swedenborg Witness in the Spiritual World, see our show The Last Judgment. And for the meaning of the first four angel trumpets, see The Seventh Seal, Wormwood, and Seven Angel Trumpets. Three topics we're going to dig deeper into right now, the bottomless pit, locusts and destructive angels, and what we all need to wake up to. So let's look into it. Bottomless Pit. Today we continue our epic journey through the book of Revelation, giving you the inner meaning, what's behind the curtain with this really dramatic, wild, well-known but mystical, symbolic story. And today we're talking about the bottomless pit. It's, it can't be something good, can it? Historically, religion is either good for God's purposes, 
right? it can do really good things, or it hides and justifies people's selfish agendas. Maybe that's why when I say religion, to some people it feels good and warm and other people, ugh. You can do either one with it, and it can be very potent either way. And the book of Revelation, since the Bible is about human spiritual life, the book of Revelation is actually predicting not destruction out in the world, but corruption of, in this case, Christianity, both Protestant and Catholic Christianity and what was to come. And the description of these seven angels sounding seven trumpets that starts in Revelation 8 is about the exposure of corruption in the Protestant church by the mid-1700s. That's on one level. This same, don't point and laugh because all this stuff we're seeing about this religious institution that houses the issues, this is something that can pop up in either one of us anytime. So it's something we need to be on guard for. It's a principle. Wherever it shows up, it causes problems. So this episode, as we dig into that, we're looking at chapter 9, which starts with the sounding of the fifth trumpet. So you have these angels, and they come out, and they blow trumpets, and what does it mean? Why are they doing that? It symbolized an examination and exposure of the leadership, the Protestant leadership, who were, everyone thought, these, they're very wise, they're good, they're defending the faith, but particularly they were defending this concept uh, that Swedenborg refers to as faith alone. This idea that if we just check certain religious boxes, we can kind of ignore all that love stuff and, and not being evil. And they were using that to justify corrupt lives for themselves and, and in society. And this was causing all kinds of harm. Just look at history. There was terrible things done in the name of religion. So the bottomless pit is actually a symbol of hell. And in particular here, the way that this hellish state of mind, because if you ever say, how can I get away with harming people, that's what hell is, had been operating through this Protestant doctrine, just that piece of it in particular, and the leadership. Not every single leader, but there was a lot of it going on. And this had to be uprooted because it was causing huge problems for our, all of our spiritual health. So the chapter begins, Revelation 9.1, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven. It's dramatic stuff to earth. And he, he was given, the star was given, the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. I go, what's that on your keychain? That's the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So in his unpublished manuscript, Apocalypse Explained, Swedenborg describes how a falling star represents truth. Everything's got to represent something, or else what, what are we even looking at? This strange, bizarre fever dream. This is a very, very precise, tight, cutting insight into what's going on. So this, we got this falling star representing truth that's supposed to serve heavenly purposes, being dragged down to serve selfish purposes. Just like the church leaders were twisting and falsifying scripture to justify their corrupt ego agendas and lifestyles. No, I can, it's okay for me to do this. The Bible says it's okay. This misuse of scripture actually connects with hell. Sometimes people who are saying, you're all going to hell because you, they're, they're arm in arm with hell, which is symbolized by the star being given a key to the bottomless pit. Here you go. Open it up. Because whenever we take the desire to exploit or dominate or harm or whatever antisocial thing we want to do and we justify it and we make it the main thing in our life, 
that is opening up the pit. That's opening that connection to hell because that's where the joy and that kind of stuff comes from. So that's one layer of meaning. And if that wasn't enough, there's another layer of meaning here. In Swedenborg's published book, Apocalypse Revealed, he describes how this same scene also represents the exposure of that very corruption. So it can represent the corruption and the exposure of it. The star coming down represents God's divine truth coming down from above, having the power to open up and expose this hellish corruption, which happened, by the way, during the Last Judgment in the spiritual world. See Swedenborg's book, Last Judgment. When the pit was opened, the first thing that happened is this. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. So, when there's smoke, if there's smoke, there's fire. Don't we say that? Because smoke is an indicator, and here, through correspondences, it is an indicator of the corruption that's happening. Because this is a picture of what happened when religious leaders connected doctrine with their selfish agenda, so justified what they were doing through religious doctrine, and also God exposing what was happening, because the heat of a furnace is these lusts for power, or lusts for material gain, and the sense, sense gratification, ex- exploiting things. All of that, that's the fire of hell. It's not something that you are getting tortured by, it's that thing in you that makes you want this stuff, and the smoke means the doctrine twisted to justify those lusts. So if you, even if people aren't saying out loud, the reason why I want to live religion in an inauthentic way is so I can get away with something, you know, you can, if you see these doctrines that don't make sense and don't have kindness in them, most likely underneath there's something bad. And you see a lot of scandals with a lot of church leaders who, uh, are doing these terrible things and kind of using the church as a, as a screen for that. Not all of them, plenty of good ones, but we are focusing on how to get in, into this problem here. The sun and the air being darkened means these justifications were blocking the real truth in the sky that's supposed to be above us. So this bottomless pit gives us a picture of what we need to avoid in our religious life or, or with any life principles or philosophy that we follow. Don't Use higher principles to justify urges and longings and and actions that you know aren't good. Swedenborg teaches a very basic understanding of God. Swedenborg teaches that God is made up of three elements, love, wisdom, and use. The darker side, however, are things that we oftentimes don't talk about. The darker side are things we don't want to explore, but they're damaging if we don't. They're damaging not only to the church, but to our spiritual lives as well. If we do not invert the inner characteristics of our lives to love and to wisdom and to service towards our neighbor, we put ourselves and even the church in a situation that's very damaging. Inverting a love for God to a love for ourselves and and things of this world, this, this actually removes our freedom and puts us under the control of the materialistic things that are all around us. We 
we lose a sense of our identity and seek our identity in something that isn't us. The second thing is looking, looking for God's truth. If we don't shift to that, if we don't do something looking for truth, then we reinforce arrogance, we reinforce complacency, we, we reinforce conceit in our own thinking. What it means is we actually lock ourselves down from being able to grow, being able to be better. And three, if we do this, if we define ourselves by loving ourselves in the world and thinking that our own arrogance, our own thought, our own feelings of control are, are really where the truth lies, well then all of our actions stop being useful. Instead, they actually clog the divine purpose. They get in the way. They become desires and lusts, leaving us just feeling empty. In the church or, or in our spiritual lives, we can fight these things. We can, we can fight it by a basic grasp of a very simple word, humility desiring to find the good in others, understanding other points of view, and acting from them to serve the needs of the church and others. What an amazing world would it be if we all argued about how the other person's point of view had value versus shutting the door on them. Locusts and destructive angels. That's a lot of scary stuff for one section. Well, we had that scary pit, the bottomless pit, but something comes up out of it. In verses 3 to 11, we learn that there was these creatures called locusts, but they weren't the, the grasshoppery things that we might associate with that word. Even though these guys can be pretty destructive, obviously can decimate crops and that sort of thing, these locusts were scarier, and they looked something like this. They had all kinds of different body parts, and all kinds of potential for harm. And this is what Swedenborg learned about the symbolism. So the locusts corresponded to false doctrine fueled by ego-based cravings. Them being with the power of scorpions is the power to persuade others that false doctrine is true. So they'll sting you with that belief that something that isn't so is so. They couldn't harm people with the seal of God on their foreheads means they couldn't corrupt people who were anchored in love of God and the neighbor. Because you just won't buy that false teaching if, if you know that's what the core of life is. For more about all that, see our show, Who Are the 144,000 in Revelation. So these locusts couldn't kill those people, but just torment them for five months. What, what's that? What, couldn't it please be four months? This symbolizes couldn't spiritually destroy them, but only temporarily confuse them. So we went into the symbolism of their appearance in our short clip, Revelation, the Locusts and Abaddon. Watch that if you want to go through the symbolism of these wonderful creatures in more detail. But then in verse 13, the sixth angel sounds the trumpet. And this again is representative. This is about the exposure of the state of mind of, again, we're talking here in this episode about Protestant Christians in the mid-1700s, who were, weren't considered to be leaders or learned or wise, but yet they still had latched onto this idea of faith alone or religion without love as an excuse to live ego-based lives. Like, okay, I'm, I'm religious, it's fine. 
It's all right if I'm a total jerk next door. Let's read what happens next in the chapter. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels were released, who had been held ready for the hour, the day, the month, and the year to kill a third of humankind. The number of the troops of cavalry was 200 million. I heard their number. Angels? Angels are going to kill all the people. Which are you? You've got these angels sounding trumpets, helping God expose corruption, but then angels are going to go slaughter everybody? So are there good and bad angels? What's going on here? It's bizarre to think of angels being ready and willing to murder a third of the world's population. But actual angels do not do that kind of dirty work. The word angel comes to us from the Greek angelos, which actually means messenger. So we could have messengers of good or messengers of evil, those who carry out good causes or evil causes. In English, we usually think of angels as the good guys, beings of light and love who are forwarding goodness in the world. So I'm curious that this misleading translation persists that gives us the idea that angels would be capable of such horrific things. I looked at 60 different translations of these verses. 57 of them use the term angels. Two use the term messengers, which I was glad to see. And one actually uses the term mighty demons, which I think is more of the idea. And they footnote that translation, mighty demons, saying that the real word is angels and they've supplied the word in brackets, fallen, fallen angels. But Swedenborg always uses the term angel to mean an inhabitant of heaven. And real angels do not fall. They do not rebel. They do not leave heaven to accomplish nefarious deeds. They are in heaven because that is where their inner selves, their deepest core being aligns with the atmosphere of mutual love, love to God and service to others. And that is a state of mind and heart that does not change. Okay. All right. I can work with that. So you've got these destructive messengers that represent destructive messages and attitudes in people's minds that were being released in order to be exposed. It's when the true quality of something is clearly seen that it can be judged. You have to expose something to the sunlight to take care of it in a lot of cases. Let's look at the symbolism here. The river Euphrates is rationality, our rational faculty, and these angels bound to the river Euphrates is the lower ego agendas hiding behind religious faith alone rationalization. So what should be the higher angels of our nature? We're making them serve this, uh, this dysfunctional stuff. Angels released from the river Euphrates, the destructive quality of those agendas is being exposed. The, the attitudes uh, here that were so toxic were toxic because they were hiding behind this religious facade. I can behave however I want because I'm a person of the church. I can do anything I want to humans, but I, because I've checked these arbitrary religious boxes. 
So then there was this huge cavalry that showed up, and they were, they were bizarre-looking and menacing. The cavalry is the rationalizations to support this, and frankly, insane ideas about what leads to heaven and what God wants. Look back at history, see all the things people have said about who God is and what God is looking for and what qualifies you as being on the path to heaven. It's nuts. I mean, it's totally against love. So the killing that this army does is that when you take in these conceits and lusts, when you start to march with them, it kills you. Spiritually, spiritual death is connecting with hell. When you invite that stuff in, the love of harming people and getting away with it and justifying it, that's the pit. That is what hell is. So you, you die. I mean, you invite in that life instead of the life of goodness and truth. It's death by comparison. But it's not all doom and gloom. There is this final, final group that was said not to be killed. So somebody survives. Let's take a look at what that means in verses 20 to 21. What we need to wake up to. So the last two verses in this chapter talk about people who had not bought into this self-centered, hellish attitude. They were not marching with the army. They were not opening up the pit with their whole heart, right? There was still hope. They were participating in some negative things, but they hadn't justified it and bought totally in. They're still kind of asleep. They hadn't really woken up to the kind of destructive behavior and attitudes that had to be resisted in order to connect with heaven. The rest of humankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands or give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their fornication or their thefts. <laughs> Those are the good guys? Yeah, they have some issues, right? But there's hope for them. They can get better, which is really how it is for all of us, right? None of us are perfect, but we can get better. But there's something that blocks us from getting better, and that is this salvation by faith only, because that blocks two crucial things, one of which is doing repentance. If you just believe, I've got religion, right? I've, I've gone to a service. I have um, said the right incantation. I'm there. This doesn't let you hear what Jesus is saying when he says, repent, repent, repent. As look at yourself. What am I doing that's harmful and needs to change? Let me get after that stuff. It also stops us from studying Jesus's teachings about how to love the neighbor because we just know, well, I, yeah, I, I lit enough candles, so that's it, right? And this has become a huge problem in 18th century Protestantism, but this is something that every one of us has to be aware of, as I said, no matter what our re religious affiliation or spiritual philosophy, and in er all areas of all of our lives. You can get it so that you think, technically, I'm fine, without really examining what harm am I doing, what are my motivations. Nobody gets to heaven through ideas in the mind. The ideas have to be fueled by love and put into action. Actually, the love, the, the intent behind your beliefs is more important than your beliefs, right? It's better to have love and not understand something than get what's going on, but do, do mean things to people. So to break down the warnings in this verse, that they did not repent of the works of their hands is not examining one's own lower ego desires and actions. And Swedenborg says more about this in Apocalypse Revealed, which is fascinating. We are told regarding the people who are the subject here that they did not repent. 
because people who make faith alone the totality of religion say to themselves, what need do I have of repentance when through faith alone our sins are forgiven and we are saved? Yeah, if I don't have to do it, I won't do it. What do our works contribute to this? I know that I was born in sin and that I am a sinner. If I confess this and pray that my faults not be imputed to me, then I have repented. What need do I have of anything more? And this is, you know, was big in Swedenborg's day. What are the modern analogs to that? Thus, the person then gives no thought to sin, even to the point of not knowing what sins are. Consequently, the delight and gratification they afford continually carry him along in them and into them the way a favorable wind and current carry a ship onto rocks when both captain or crew are asleep. The takeaway is a lot of evil stuff feels good. That's why people do it. And if you don't examine, we'll always default into negative behaviors because there's a certain crazy ego reward from them. So you got to don't be asleep steering that boat. Someone then who invokes faith alone as the chief tenet of his religion or as his idol, he, because he does not search out any evil in himself that he calls a sin and therefore does not determine to remove it by repentance, remains caught up in it. The primary work of religion is to look at ourselves and take out the things that are harmful. As soon as it becomes about getting social power or pointing out other people's faults, you're missing the boat. How many times can I reference a boat in this section? Let's look at the deeper meanings of worshiping demons and idols. So, worshiping demons is following lusts and cravings arising from materialism. Worshiping idols is following false ideas. Then we have all these idols, well, it's all these different kinds of idols. Idols of gold are false ideas about God. Idols of silver are false ideas about our spirits. Idols of brass are false ideas about charity. Idols of stone are false ideas about faith. Idols of wood are false ideas about good works. There's so many idols, how do you know if you're worshiping them or not? The easy way to do it is make love your compass, love for the neighbor your compass, and set the intent to say, I want you, God, to lead me more into love and less into selfishness and destructive stuff toward the rest of the people. If that is your, your mission statement, then even a bit of a wrong turn doesn't hurt you because that is what's setting the overall trajectory toward heaven. What does it mean there by not repenting? It's not giving any thought to the Ten Commandments or applying those things to our lives. So, when you think about that second tablet of the Ten Commandments, it's actually a lot like this verse in Revelation 9.21, isn't it? You have murders are on both lists, or thou shalt not kill. You have the sorceries there, which is like the bearing false witness. There's a deceptive element to it. Then you have fornication, which is like the adultery commandment, and you have theft, which is like the thou shalt not steal. So they're in a different order, but it's interesting that they're there. And uh, these are the things that we need to follow, not only in a physical way to avoid harming other people's physical lives, but Swedenborg says these are also things we need to follow in a spiritual way so as not to harm other people's spirits. Now, how do you harm other people's spirits? Well, he specifies that murdering spiritually is being hateful, vengeful, attacking, anything that is aiming at destroying other people's ability to feel compassion or to understand the truth, because those are the things that give life to our spirits. And then you have sorceries. The sorceries are deceiving people, especially about 
love. It's especially about the will and the heart. So it's almost like a presto changeo trick, like, oh, don't look over here, uh, look over here. That's not love and compassion. Uh, ignore that. This is love and compassion over here, trying to interfere with our relationship with those things. Then the third one is fornication, and that has to do with violating our relationship with the truth. In other words, people who are not repenting are trying to violate other people's relationship to the truth. Misery loves company. They're trying to drag other people down. And finally, the thefts are robbing people even of any knowledge, any ability to recognize love when you see it, to recognize truth when you see it. And so robbing people of those things, these four things are ways that we kill other people spiritually. And that's how you behave, unfortunately, if you haven't gone through that repentance yourself. All right, let's wrap it up. We have this story in the book of Revelation that's about these scary monsters. And you might think, oh, that's the danger out there. But really, I mean, the monsters in Revelation 9, the real monsters in life, are attitudes that can show up in the human heart and mind. We can become the monsters. In this particular instance, we were looking how Protestant Christian doctrine in past centuries caused problems, but this can lurk in the hearts and minds of any of us in whatever form suits the kind of mindset we have. So attitudes about latching onto ideas that let us ignore how to love people and, and get away with it, it's a problem in everything. So we actually want to allow God to blow the trumpet, to wake us up to any tendencies in that direction, to keep, make sure that pit is locked up you don't want the key to that thing. You don't want access to that. So this allows us, when we're not looking down into the pit, to look up toward heaven without the gravity from the, the pleasures of negative, negative stuff that, that goes unchecked when, when it's justified. So the sounding of the trumpets is really about, it's about love. It's about God loving us enough to show us the truth. Because we, we can be stuck in a life we like, and we're upset when God tries to pull us out, but God wants us happy and free of that. So, so if we're shown that, we can remove this blockage from our true destiny, which is to be angelic, great people that everyone would love to be around. And we go forward then, once that blockage is removed, with clarity and with love. So from a bottomless pit and locusts and destruction, we get a message that points us right in the direction of love, truth, and freedom. Off the Left Eye is Curtis Childs, director, producer, and host. Karen Childs, writer, community manager, and host. Chelsea Odner, writer, production manager, and host. And Jonathan Rose, host and series editor of the NCE. Shada Sullivan is the voice you love in our narrations. Stuart Farmer is our technical director. Matthew Childs, our video art director. Our motion designers are Meng Jong and Jesse Johnson. Reed McArdle made our music. Devin Osblond is our production intern. Cara Dom is our Latin consultant extraordinaire, and Chris Dunn is our digital marketing magician. And you are our much-loved listener. And now you can journey with us all week. Every Monday's Swedenborg and Life episode, including this one, has a week's worth of content lined up to support you in your exploration of these life-changing ideas. All video content premieres at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean time on the Off the Left Eye YouTube, Facebook, and Simplecast channels. On Tuesdays, find us on social media or go to offtheleftei.com to get custom downloadable art paired with the week's topic to ground you through the week. On Wednesdays, join us to dig a little deeper into the week's topic with news from heaven. 
On Thursdays, we want to hear from you. We'll be sharing a new reflection question weekly on our community tab and social media channels. Then join us for Swedenborg Live on Fridays for our panel Q&A show. And listen every Sunday to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to always know what we're up to and what you can look forward to. If you want to help sustain Off the Left Eye's operations, consider becoming a monthly donor today. And right now, we have a matching gift challenge from a very generous donor couple where dollar for dollar up to $10,000 will be matched when you make a new or increased monthly donation. You can provide a direct gift or restrict it to our new Off the Left Eye endowment fund. Giving to the endowment fund is a great way to guarantee that your gifts live on to help Off the Left Eye forever. Go to otle.cosvox.com to become part of our essential community of donors. From all of us here at Off the Left Eye, we thank you.